Listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing, coming to you worldwide from MegaWare Keelguard Studios. Aaron, spring is in the freaking air, buddy. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling the rays. I'm feeling the vibes. I'm feeling us move into 2020 spring season. How about you? <laughs> Very exciting. Yes. And uh, I've talked with uh, Tori and Dave and Ryan at MegaWare Keel Garden. I know things are flying off the shelf, even the new color lime green. Uh, certainly proud sponsors and presenting sponsors of Bass Edge since day one. Be sure to check out their total lineup at KeelGuard.com. Kurt, I am going to talk fast because I am excited about today's episode. I'm excited about all of our episodes, but specifically, we've kind of heading a little different direction these last couple yeah. episodes. Yeah, yeah, and what a stoish. Quick shout out. Congrats to the Bassmaster Classic champion. We're going to get him on the show here in the next episode or two once the dust settles. So that'll be fun to talk to him. But yeah, Aaron, we, we got so much going on. You know, I, I got to throw a shout out real quick to all of the Bass Edge listeners. I mentioned this last episode. We've been getting a lot of feedback over the show. Lots of great listener questions. Keep those coming in. And also just generalities of, man, thanks for providing what you shout out, you know, on the show and all that kind of good stuff. But I want to send a special thanks to Alan. Alan, you're going to know who you are. He sent us a quick email about what he loves about about Bass Edge Radio and our podcast. And similar to what we did last episode is really diving into the fishing hooks with Brad Hallman. You know, this episode, we've, we're going to dive into some mental creativity with Dr. J. You all stay tuned. This is going to be a fun conversation. Then we're going to dive into crazy in-depth jerkbait fishing with Kelly J. And we're going to get back to some of our roots on this educational process. We talked about it with uh, Bass Angler Magazine before, Aaron. And, and we're going to continue focus on that educational piece we feel like our listeners are really enjoying that piece of, of what we provide y'all at bass edge radio so uh we're gonna keep pushing the envelope on that yeah speaking of pushing the envelope we have another great tackle tip coming up and uh what a way to kick off or follow or bookend that comment by you than none other from protecttheharvest.com tackle tip let's go this episode's protecttheharvest.com tackle tip with professional angler Bradley Holman. Hey guys, probably the best tackle management tip I can give you with my hook storage is I buy the deeper Plano boxes. I see some of the guys that had take their all their hooks out of their bags and then put them into the boxes and keep them in there that way. I think that the hooks stay better, fresher, sharper, rust resistant. Uh, staying in the packages that they come in also, it helps me know what size of hook that I'm using and all those things that really, really matter at the time that I'm looking for a hook. And, and to keep them together, I just use the, the bigger, deeper box, keep them in the packages, they lay right on their sides. It works perfect for me. Give it a shot. Great tip, Brad. Brought to you from protecttheharvest.com. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. 
Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Livewell, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Aaron, I'm excited about uh, this part of the show. Typically, not norm really we've done this uh, maybe once in the last couple of episodes we talked about uh, high school fishing with Wyatt Wimberly today we take on a much more in-depth and maybe tougher topic we've got the most recognized expert in my opinion and I think yours as well Aaron in bass fishing as we talk about mental aspects of fishing phd dr jay mcnamara in the house often discussed and pondered here on bass edge radio dr jay very successful book the psychology of exceptional fishing which of course can be purchased at the bass edge website we've got dr jay diving deep into the minds of all of us and us in return diving deep into intuitively creating outcomes we desire to accomplish in this great sport of bass fishing or just simply becoming a more satisfied angler and person. Dr. J, thanks for taking time to be on the program with us today. Well, it's glad to be here, Kurt. Always happy to talk to you and Aaron about fishing. Dr. J, you know, certainly like Kurt mentioned, a tremendous amount of accolades. Uh, We go way back, you and I personally and Kurt, uh, but also the Bass Edge Project. Before we dive off into all the things that's going to help us become a better angler, you have actually uh, kind of risen to the top most recently in uh, Florida, completely uh, opposite corner of the states of which you reside, and that's down in Florida with your recent finish in the BFL. Tell me uh, a little bit, catch us up to speed on kind of your personal fishing and what happened down there. Sure. Well, as you know, Aaron, uh, my wife Diane and I uh, go back and forth between Minnesota and uh, Washington State. Uh, Washington State actually has the oldest bass fishing club in the country, Western Bass. I was involved in that club for a couple years out here. They manage most of the lakes in Washington for trout and salmon, so uh, bass fishing is a lot tougher out here. But I was able to uh, perform pretty well last year in the club circuit back in Minnesota. After uh, seven of the eight tournaments, I was uh, tied for first for Angler of the Year, and uh, the last tournament, I just didn't get them wound up in third. But uh, that was a lot of fun. I won a couple of events uh, over the course of the season, and then this last winter, a bunch of the guys in my Minnesota Bass Club are uh, snowbirds down in Florida, and I usually go down and fish one of those BFL tournaments uh, in Florida. This year, I was there two weeks ago on Okeechobee, where the Major League Fishing people are this week. In the uh, little club tournament on Thursday, my partner and I came in fourth out of 20. And then in the uh, BFL tournament on Saturday, I was uh, sixth out of 143 on the co-angler side. And I 
caught fish actually in a way that I've never caught them before. So it was a, a real learning experience for me to fish down there in an entirely unique environment. Yeah, Florida, a very unique environment. Actually, maybe some similarities to the natural lakes in Minnesota. Have, did you feel that way at all when you were down there, Dr. J? Well, you know, uh, Okeechobee uh, is a vegetation lake, without a doubt. Yes. Um, much of the lake uh, where people fish has cattails and uh, lily pads and emergent vegetation. And uh, then there's, of course, open water areas where guys are catching them now on rattle baits and chatter baits and stuff like that. And so some of that is familiar, but much of Okeechobee is extremely shallow, as you know. And some of that pocket water, it's like fishing in a trout stream where there's a little patch of water and then there's rocks and vegetation and mostly vegetation in Florida. And fishing way back in those pockets in what looks like more grass than water was where my my partner and I uh, found the fish during that tournament. So that was a very unique deal. I told Aaron this story a bit ago, but my last fish, I hooked him and got him through a couple of these little ponds and it got stuck in a bunch of weeds. And my buddy said, uh, I think he's up on that bank. And so he started up the big motor and drove through a couple of these little cuts and sure enough, there was the last two pounder laying up on the uh, wet grass. We scooped him up. We scooped him up out of the grass into the net. That was the fish that finished my limit. So that's exciting. That's exciting. Always fun. Well, Doctor J, you know, we always bring up your book, The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing, here on the show. A mental aspect in bass fishing so important to success or to try to gain success by getting your mind right and having the thought process that leads to positivity and uh, having a thought process that envisions success. What feedback have you gotten from this first book that you've done? It's been out there for a while now. We've sold lots of copies, as I mentioned earlier, through our website, BassEdgeRadio.com. Tell me, what do you think that this has done to help anglers in the game of fishing? Sure. So I do get uh, feedback, Kurt, from anglers who have ordered the book and then they call me up or send me articles about how they've done in tournaments. One of the most obvious things is helping people um, organize and plan their fishing better than they did before. So um, we know from our personal experiences as well as our professional experiences that when you have lists and systems and routines and processes to get things done, you're less likely to forget stuff or leave things out. It puts your mind at ease and lets you think about fishing. If you have a sequence in which you do those controllable variables that uh, people talk about, the process of being able to think through options and have a game plan before you go fishing, either practice plans or a plan during the day and helps people make calmer and more reasoned decisions rather than getting into a panic situation where they don't know what to do and then they're making decisions based on anxiety. The biggest thing that I hear though from people is their capacity to uh, deal better with uh, disappointment and frustration and setbacks. And instead of spinning out, to rely on the plan B or plan C or some cases plan D or plan E rather than again, become frantic and uh, mentally disheveled and uh, go off on tangents. So that whole process of here's what we're faced with. Here's what the issues are. Let's think this through in a calm way. And guys tell me about sitting down on the boat and taking five minutes or 10 minutes to think about what they know and what they don't know and what they have and what they don't have and, and make decisions uh, in a calm way, either with themselves or with their partner, um, rather than uh, just run willy-nilly around the lake. That's been a big difference for um, 
uh, many people. There was one really fun thing. Uh, year before last, Ken Middlestead won the Bass Nation State Tournament in Minnesota. And uh, I know him briefly from the club events that I've uh, spoken at. Uh, but when he got up on stage to uh, claim the first place trophy, uh, he spontaneously attributed uh, his success to the psychology of exceptional fishing. It caught me and the rest of us in the club off guard uh, when he said that because I didn't uh, have any idea he was going to make that comment. But he did talk about how the book helped him become much more focused when things didn't go the way they were supposed to go. And instead of getting, uh, like I said, all frazzled and uh, disjointed and, and uh, making careless moves, um, he was just able to think through his options and stay the course during a difficult time. So that was a positive experience. Oh, I'm sure. And I know that's uh, from personal experience of, of stories that I've heard from you. That's certainly not the first time and will not be the last that you've received kudos and credit where credit is due. And, and certainly we will not do the book justice by the few minutes that we have to talk about it today. But one of the things that I appreciate in my you know 15 plus years of mentorship and working directly with you, you know, the book lays out the systems that you speak of. And one of the things that really stands out with me that I've learned much from that has really revolutionized the way that I not only think about fishing, but really life is, is you speaking on the emotional component of removing the emotion, control the things that you can control and those that you can't, it is what it is. It's like waking up and saying, okay, we're in the middle of spring and it's raining one day and windy the next. Well, yeah, no duh, it's spring, you know, and, and not to be facetious, but can you elaborate just a bit, give the listeners a little bit of flavor that haven't been introduced to you at this point in time of, of kind of what you're meaning by that? Sure. Well, <laughs> and that will allow me to tell you about the biggest mental mistake that I made last year, uh, which probably cost me angler of the year. And it's a weather related deal. So, you know, you and I, again, have talked about this many times, Aaron, you and I both love bad weather because a lot of people freak out when weather turns bad, when it gets windy, if it's cold, if it's raining. Last spring, it was doing all that. And it was snowing in Minnesota on the 8th of, of May when we had this tournament. So I'm fishing against half the guys that I'm normally fishing with because they're all bundled up and worried about being cold and yada, yada, yada. So, however, what I didn't take into consideration, which I should have, and I will henceforth and forever, <laughs> is my partner in the back of the boat who got really cold and couldn't take it anymore and needed to go back in. And I had not checked with the tournament director about the parameters of dropping off my partner and still fishing by myself. So we wound up going in very early because he was cold and I drove the boat away from biting fish because my partner was cold. I didn't manage my partner well. There will be a section in the revised edition of the book that's coming out this summer <laughs> on not only how to manage yourself, but how to manage your partner. Very exciting. So let me just say I was almost flabbergasted that it was snowing May 8th. <laughs> let, me, let me just say I, I, my jaw just hit the floor there. But uh, yeah. those are interesting circumstances and uh, definitely a, a great story. When we talk about the new project, the new book, looking forward to some of those sneak peeks. What can you tell us about what we're going to be able to see, what we're going to be able to expect, and maybe when we can grab this thing so we can continue to become better anglers? 
sure. This is an exciting project. You know, Aaron and I worked on the uh, original book that came out in 2009 for a couple of years. And over the last six months, I've taken a lot of the new research that's come out in the last 10 years and tried to uh, winnow this down so that I can fit it into the existing book. And so a revised edition of The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing will come out sometime in the summer of 2020. Very exciting research on the process of a deliberate practice, how people practice. And with fishing in particular, with it being such a highly ambiguous process of uh, practicing for a tournament, that whole deal about location and presentation, you know, you can have the best presentation in the whole world, but if you're fishing in a place where there aren't any fish, it doesn't matter. Same way you can be on top of uh, a huge school of fish. And if you're not using the right presentation, there are, are a lot of times when the person in the back of the boat will uh, clean your clock. We've all had that experience if you're not making the right presentation. So how do you fine tune both the location and the presentation aspects of your fishing? And there's a bunch of new research on how to do that, uh, how specifically to do that, um, that's, uh, that we'll include in the new book. Um, there's a, a, going to be an expanded uh, section on the difference between knowledge and skill. There's zillions of articles and podcasts and books out there about what to learn about fishing and then how do you apply that in terms of actual skill development. Uh, so just knowing something and, and knowing in your mind how to do something and then actually doing it, as it turns out, both in your brain and in the application are two separate processes. And we're going to talk a little bit more in greater detail in the new edition of the book about skill development. The whole process of uh, mental representation has come to the forefront in performance psychology recently. And what it amounts to is a kind of a collection of the visualization techniques that we've talked about in the past. You know, some of the foundational dimensions in sports psychology about uh, stress management and organizing and planning and mental rehearsal and visualization. Those things haven't changed much. But in the area of uh, visualization and mental representation in particular, it has to do with taking individual visual practice dimensions and putting them together into a whole picture that a person can think about and go over in their mind and quite a bit of information on that that shows um, that the larger mental representation becomes as effective as the individual visualization processes. Um, Aaron, you and I have talked a lot about tennis, so it's kind of like taking your visual picture of a forehand and a backhand ground stroke, a forehand and backhand volley, your serve, uh, your lob, and putting all those together in a mental representation package that allows you to visualize how the whole point is played or how the whole game is played or how the whole set is played rather than just the individual stroke. And again, applying that to fishing, um, we're working out the details about how that's going to lay out. But that'll be an exciting piece of the new book, too. Well, I can't wait. And uh, because one of the things that I always remember early on in uh, the Bass Edge project was when Skeet Reese made the comment that he is always fighting to control the mental warfare that is going on between his two ears and that his mind is a lonely place and he tries not to go there alone. You know, and that ties in with exactly kind of the first edition of the book, which is really the, the foundation, the fundamentals that I'm sure 
sure the second edition will build upon. I cannot wait. I, I will tell you, I've been very excited since you and I started talking about the second edition of the book that will add on to the first. For those, uh, obviously, that do not have the first edition, like Kurt said, that is available on BassEdge.com on the uh, web store. But uh, look forward to getting that in everyone's hands. Dr. J, it's awesome to get your insight on the show and discuss evolution right because it's mental so there, yeah. there is no there's no one thing that you can put your finger on and say okay that's the magic bait right i would say one thing aaron to take off on your comment about skeet reese is that the warfare in his head and not battling that alone if there's one thing that i've gotten out of the research that i've read in the last 15 years on performance improvement it's the necessity of accurate feedback. And Kurt had asked me earlier, if there's a, you know one thing you wanna leave people with, uh, what's the one thing? Um, I used to say it was focused concentration, but I've changed my mind on that now. It's really about getting feedback from other people to uh, improve what you're doing. We know from tons of research that we all overestimate ourselves. 80% of people think that they're above average. Pick any domain, uh, plumbers, electricians, uh, doctors, uh, teachers, lawyers. If you ask that group of people, where do they rank compared to their peers? 80% of them are above average. In fact, 25% of them think they're in the top 1%. <laughs> um, wow. We all overestimate. Yeah, we all overestimate ourselves. And when I talked to um, professional fishermen uh, before I wrote the first edition of the book, I asked people, what's the biggest mistake you see co-anglers make? And they say, overestimating what they have. People will tell you, you know, I got four pounders when really they have two pounders located. Or I know we can catch 30 pounds today and they catch 12. I mean, it's very, very common in our sport as in every other domain that we overestimate ourselves. So the importance of getting accurate feedback from someone else, we're way more likely to have the people around you tell you the truth than you are to be able to accurately describe your own performance. So that deal about what Skeet said about not waging that war all by himself in his head is key. The best professional fishermen have other people who give them feedback on a regular basis to make improvements. Dr. J, those are great insights. Man, it's, it's tough to add to the process, but in this particular circumstance, maybe the most important thing about getting that feedback is getting quality feedback, right? I mean, there's right. so many people that you're not close enough to or you don't know them as well, and they don't give you the nuts and bolts, right? Don't be That's afraid. Exactly. Exactly right. Tell your friend the real thought process you have in your mind according to what feedback you need to provide them. Because if you're off a little bit or if you're not being what, – what's the right word? You know, If you're not being um, – Don't you think, Kurt, it's the difference between somebody telling you what you need to hear versus what you want to hear? Yes, exactly. So getting definitive feedback from someone that's close to you is so, so important as a piece of what Dr. J just mentioned, because if you don't have the actual content of things that are occurring and it's flabbergasted or something that's not true, then the feedback is absolutely worthless. Right. right. I mean, great stuff, man. You know, when often when I when we when we talk to Dr. J, when I when I peruse through, you know, relearning and reassessing chapters that I've read previously through the current book and, and can't wait to get the new book. I think back to a little bit of Buck Perry. 
Buck Perry, the founder, the creator, the ingenuity of structure fishing. Dr. J. McNamara is a new place in the last 15 years putting this thing together and really talking about the psychology of how to be most successful in bass fishing. And it's something that people really haven't dove directly into in accordance with our sport, except for Dr. J. And I see him as the founding father of this. And, and, I, and I love these conversations and love looking at the book and can't wait. For Future it. Hall of Famer. Yes, no <laughs> doubt, no doubt. All right, guys. Well, hey, look, Dr. J. McNamara, thank you for being with us in this segment of the show. It's been great to talk again. Always love, you know, hearing the feedback and the new ways to look at what we're trying to accomplish, not only in bass fishing, but oftentimes in life. Thanks for all that you provide us. Do you have any final thoughts for the listeners today? Well, I would just say, uh, Kurt, I would tell both you and Aaron to uh, find somebody to fish with that you haven't fished with before. And uh, as you go through the day, ask them to make comments on what you do. I came in uh, six out of 143 in Florida a couple weeks ago because the guy in front of my boat said, you can't do what you're doing and catch any fish. Uh, you have to do this. And um, I, you know, I <laughs> take my own advice. I'm willing to listen to what he said. And uh, five fish later, I got a check for $433. <laughs> well done. Well there done. you are. All right. Great stuff. Well, guys, and we're going to take this to a close. Dr. J, thanks again for everything. We've got a segment coming up. This has been a great episode already, but in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight, we're going to talk to a jerkbait expert. What better time of year than early spring, but taking jerkbaits to your next level throughout the remainder of the year might be the most important thing we learned today. Hang tight, Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight, right after this message. This is BASS Elite Angler Kyle Wilcher. This is Bass Elite Series Angler Bernie Schultz. This is BASS Bassmaster Elite Angler Stetson Blaylock. This is MLF BPT Angler John Murray, and you are listening to Bass Edge Radio. importance of protecting your investments so why use anything else other than the original and toughest diy keel protector for your boat megaware keel guard grinding sand abrasive rocks and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology megaware keel guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also from MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Nation, I'm stoked to have a great BASS Elite Series angler on the show with us today. We're going to break down another technique that everyone should try in the late winter, early spring, and maybe an often overlooked technique that can be used many other times a year. We're going to dive into that today with Kelly J. He's going to break it all down for us. Kelly has nearly won several BASS Elite Series events with a jerkbait. And when I say several, Kelly, I don't know how many it is, maybe five or six. I remember uh, Kentucky Lake, Gunnersville, yeah. 
Yeah, Tim Plain a couple of years ago, that, that was probably the most heartbreaking because I had those fish on with like the last hour and a half and live by the sword, die by the sword. That's right. And, and of course, most recently, the St. John's River. So, man, Kelly, we appreciate you being on the show with us today for sure. Well, I'm glad y'all had me on. I appreciate the invite and uh, hopefully I can get some information out to help some people, you know, catch some more fish on the jerk bait. Well, I know you will specifically with me because that's one of my favorite baits to throw. So I I love picking uh, experts <laughs> like you, your brain, and uh, hopefully it helps me put more fish in the boat. But first off, congrats on your quick start for the 2020 BASS Elite Series season. You know, let's start with what are the primary seasons, I guess, for jerk baits? Kurt alluded to this a little bit, uh, you know, breaking it down to springtime, but there might be some other ones in there that you can elaborate on as well. And and what makes it the right time, I guess? The right time, I guess, is, is when the water first starts warming and the sheds start getting more active. Actually, to me, the the best time to throw a jerkbait is in pre-spawn, of course, and then in the fall. Those are the two best times to throw a jerkbait. And the fall is often overlooked, but, you know, in the fall, the water starts cooling back down, and all the bait fish start going back into pocket and uh, getting off the main lake, and really, you know, the fish follow them. But uh, I think, to me, honestly, the fall is probably the most overlooked time and the best time to throw a jerkbait. Awesome. Yeah, and maybe even sometimes in the post-spawn. I remember, uh, like I mentioned in the opening, you know, Kentucky Lake. I think it was a shad spawn scenario there a couple years back, and uh, you were just dominating the event there for several days and catching some giant fish on some shad spawn type things. So, man, jerkbait fishing runs the gamut all times of year. One of the first things I'm often asked about jerkbait fishing is what cadence are you using do you have any special cadences that you could share with us that you feel like are more successful than others the most important thing that i see a lot of people throwing a jerkbait the mistake they make is the rod tip is too soft a lot of people think you got to have a soft rod tip i would rather have a soft backbone and a fast tip because what you want that bait to do underwater and this is my cadence regardless of what time of year it is i may pause it longer depending on the water temperature but my first two twitches i want that jerk bait to dart right and dart left or dart left and dart right just like you would a spook on top of the water and what happens with the mistake i see a lot of people make is is they had too limber of a rod and their rod tip actually loads up when they go to twitch it and it pulls it more than jerks it and uh to me that's the biggest thing to learn always jerk on the slack line and make sure you have the right rod for the job because you're getting a reaction bite most of the time it's just like a a fluke or something like it where you're twitching something real fast or even a buzz bait or a whopper plopper you know it's something that you're getting a reaction bite and you want it to be a you know be pretty erratic Hey, Kelly, I'm going to deviate a little bit. You brought up the topic of temperature, water temperature. Can you give kind of a range of when you'll go to it? That'll help listeners be able to decide in the spring and the fall, like you speak of. Those are more general terms, but if you can use kind of a water temperature as a benchmark, maybe that'll help us understand a little bit better. Yeah, well, I guess it's all according to different parts of the country you fish, obviously, because up north, the fish, you know, they're more used to the colder water. Down here, Lake Martin's my home lake. If it gets below 50, it's really kind of hard to get a jerk bite you have to work it painlessly slow so uh i don't really i like it to get above 50 here locally but like uh our late tournament a couple years ago in tennessee when it sleet and snowed i think you might even fish that i'm not remember but it was sleet and snow 20 mile an hour winds and like 24 degrees for a high that day i caught every one of those fish on a jerk bait and the water temperature was like 44 or something yeah. it's crazy it's really just all according to the region you're fishing that 
and like up north in New York, I mean, those fish live under ice, you know, half the year. So it's really according to the uh, the area of the country you're fishing. That's good stuff there. And, you know, Kelly, in this day and age of where it seems like uh, baits are becoming more and more expensive, price doesn't necessarily mean that they're better. And I know you kind of have an affinity for the older Smithwick models. How many different types of jerk baits do you tend to utilize and what differentiates their effectiveness? I've got boxes and boxes of jerk baits. When I was 20 years old, my first tournament I won was on an old school rogue. I may have been 19, I can't remember. But So I've been throwing a jerk bait for a long time, and that's really what got me hooked. But I probably got a thousand jerk baits. Wow. I don't throw that many, of course, but I've accumulated over the years. You know, if it looks like it'll catch fish, just like any other fisherman see something on the racket, tackle warehouse or bass pro shops, if it looks like it'll catch fish, I'll grab it. Well, I'm the same way with a jerk bait. So, you know, I've got a lot of jerk baits, but I really keep the colors pretty simple. You mentioned that old school rogue. They don't even make it anymore, but it's a big jerk bait. It's a five and a half inch jerk bait. Comes factory with number four hooks on it. It doesn't cast real well because it doesn't have a weight transfer system, but it rattles good and it's got a big wide wobble and it works great when you're trying to pull fish from like under docks when you're throwing parallel to docks and you're trying to pull the fish away to come eat it uh, it gives off a lot of water vibration there and uh any place there's big fish like florida texas places where you know there's truly lunkers gunnersville they got big bait kentucky lake i caught some at kentucky lake on it uh, a couple of years ago in, the, in our elite tournament, but for some reason I was catching bigger ones on a 110 millimeter suspended jerk bait. So you just have to let the fish tell you what to do. But I always like to start average and according to how many fish I'm catching and the quality, go up in size, just like you would if you were throwing a, a little jig. You want to try to get a bigger bite, you throw a bigger jig. I did the same thing with my jerk baits. That's great. So what are some of the different types of actions that you'll see out of these jerk baits? I mean, obviously, they're all made differently, right? I mean, some of the Smithwick older styles, you know, they don't dart back and forth or slash, as you might say, like maybe a Mega Bass 110. And, you know, my affinity, you know, I use an Ima Flip 120 a lot, and that has a lot wider darting action from side to side, a little less slash, but more of a darting type action. Do you feel like there's different times of year or or different scenarios that'll lead you to one type of action for a particular jerkbait or another? You definitely have to make sure the action of the bait, because I've seen a lot of jerkbaits from different manufacturers that just came out with jerkbaits, and, you know, they tend to roll. You can't jerk them aggressively because they'll spin out on you. I mean, I like to jerk mine pretty hard, and uh, the Berkeley Cutter works good. Uh, I mean, you can snatch it real hard. There's two or three different brands, Mega Bass, of course. The Rogue, you can snatch pretty hard and even the uh spro mcstick you can snatch it pretty hard those four right there are uh real good jerk baits for the type of fishing i do but i mean i've caught them on lucky craft i've caught them on all different kinds but the uh color i keep pretty simple you know if it's clear water i like clearish jerk baits with green maybe a green back i try not to get too shad color if the water is real clear just because it stands out a little too much and then once the water if the water is stained I pretty much 90% of the time I throw a gold jerkbait with an orange belly and a black back, and they will hit it in that dirty water. That's really basically, the colors are really pretty simple. That's interesting. So, you know, oftentimes most anglers think of jerk baiting and more of a clear water technique, but it sounds like you're having success, you know, in maybe some stained or even heavy stained type water situations. When you do that, what's the presentation like when you're looking at, uh, you know, cover and those kinds of scenarios? 
We need yeah. to throw in maybe tighter to cover, docks, rocks, those kinds of things. What are you looking for as far as your, your cover scenarios? Well, I like, like if there's a lake, just say that's got a lot of docks with brush on them. I love paralleling docks and fishing docks uh, because you pull those fish out from under the docks. And uh, especially in the summer months when they get under there for the shade and all. When we go to Florida, like this past couple weeks ago in Florida, I mean, I was fishing a ditch with uh, some grass on each side of it and a little bit of sporadic grass in the center of it. In Florida, that water was pretty stained. So what I had to do was uh, I made short casts because I didn't. I was only fishing about four to five foot deep. So you you can't make long casts. But the water being stained like it was, I made short casts and I made quick jerks, almost not pausing it. Just if you can picture that that jerk bait just constantly darting back and forth on the water, and and those rattles just get their attention. So in in clear water, I like working it pretty fast even if it is cold just because you don't want to get a good look at it makes a lot of sense kelly we're going to keep diving into more in-depth jerk baiting but we're going to power pole down for a second hang tight bass edge radio is going to be right back with bass elite series angler kelly J. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio presented in part by Lawrence Electronics returns with professional angler Kelly J in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right, Lucas Oil high-performance marine products for oil that surpasses all manufacturer's requirements. Be sure to visit the BassEdge.com store for free shipping on Lucas products. It works. Kelly, before the break, we talked a little bit about different types of cover. Let's dive in some more about, you know, you're entering a lake you've never been to before. What's going to pique your interest first about places where you want to start throwing a jerk bait? Well, it's all according to where you are. You know, have to do your research, see what the bait type is. Of course, in in Florida, there's a lot of grass, so you got to find some. I like patches of hydrilla that, uh, and similar to the way I caught them at Gunnersville last year, um, when I stuck the hook in my finger, I was actually fishing hydrilla, but I don't like hydrilla that's a solid mat on the bottom. I like to be able to go down through there, be a clean bottom, and then you'll see a puff of hydrilla come up on your, you know, your hummingbirds, and it almost looks like a brush pile. That's the best kind of uh, stuff in grassy situations, but. Um, during the shad spawn, a lot of times, you know, April, May, I like looking for any kind of hard surface, whether it be rip wrap, boat dock posts, uh, lay downs. Um, I had a pretty good finish on the jerk bait at Wheeler a few years ago, and all, that was a big shad spawn tournament. First day of practice, I found them on, they were on lay downs. So the second day of practice, I just marked lay downs. I never even fished and actually didn't even fish the third day. Just retied, relaxed, and ran that pattern and I finished 17th or something like that. But once you get a good pattern going and see where they're at, you just got to duplicate it throughout the lake. But in the winter, I like steep, bluffy banks, though, because, you know, the fish are going to get in that deeper water and it, it seems more stable, especially when the water fluctuates. So in the cold winter months, I like, you know, around rock, deeper banks. I don't really like going up in pockets or, or sloughs or creeks or anything. I like staying out kind of on the main run. But docks, grass, rocks, 
you have to find that fish all of them, run the patterns, see what they're on, and then just uh, stick with it. Yeah, that makes sense. And Kelly, when you're dialed in to a technique as much as you are with jerk baits, is oftentimes I've I've heard that uh, there may be some tricks to change up the way that the bait action is, or things that you may do to trigger more strikes. What type of any alterations do you do to kind of get away from the norm of taking the bait out of the box, or are you one of those guys that just takes it out and doesn't change your hook or weight it or you know drill any holes or anything like that? Can you share some of your secrets? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I never throw factory hooks. I guess the two biggest only adjustments I make is as I fool a lot with hook sizes according to the water depth and then where we're fishing and then hook styles. Probably 75, 80% of the time I throw owner ST36. It's a round bend hook. Uh, I put it uh, number fours on a 110, number, 110 millimeter jerk baits or factory number five hooks. I beef them up to number four just because uh, one, the bait gets deeper. It actually sinks. And so you can make a long cast and give it a few minutes and if, and if you throw it and it lands in the water tail first, it's going to sink tail first. But the minute you twitch it back horizontal, it'll start slowly sinking horizontally. But that's probably the biggest thing, the line size. I like throwing 12-pound pretty much year-round unless I'm going somewhere where I'm fishing in, like I said earlier, grass where there's four or five foot deep, and I don't want my jerkbait to go that deep. You know, I'll up to 15-pound test. And when we go up north, I'll run an ST35 hook, which is, it's more of an EWG style hook when we're fishing for smallmouth, just because we all know how smallmouth are. When they get hooked up, they go crazy. So <laughs> uh, it seems to hold them. <laughs> it seems to hold them a little better. But those are two really the main hook sizes. And uh, and I've even gone. You can go the other way. But I have fished uh, jerk bait in three foot of water over a grass mat with putting number six on it instead of factory fives and bigger hooks. And you can throw a suspended jerk bait in three foot of water and never hit the grass. So really just experiment with the hook size your line size and how far you cast it because the deeper the further you cast it the deeper it's going at st john's river i was throwing it about half as far as i could just because i didn't want the water it to get down you know too deep and get in the mud a lot of people around me were throwing jerk baits and all day they were picking stuff off of it so that's how you eliminate that you work it fast and you make half distance cast that's an outstanding tip we talk a lot about cover line size some of the altercations you make um you know cadences how about conditions from a weather perspective you know wind slick conditions no wind sun clouds you know when are you feeling the elements and and you're like man i'm you know you're just licking your chops because you know these conditions are the most favorable to be successful jerk bait fishing oh yeah the well the best time to me is like right before front comes in you gotta you know some wind some sunshine and things that you know they just start biting the fish know the bad weather's coming let's feed up and that's what they do and to me sunshine and wind is better than anything i mean i've caught there's certain places in the in the country like i've gone to table rock before during practice and and then the elite tournament hey kurt you might have fished this one we had uh it rained on us during the tournament for about three or four hours straight i remember that and huge I, storm came through yeah and that's the only lake i've been to where i literally caught at one place i went in a little cut off the main river and caught 20 fish on a dirt bait and 20 casts i mean it was insane the way the the rain turned those fish on but but the optimal conditions no doubt is some sunshine and uh, some wind, something to break the surface up a little bit. 
Yeah, good stuff. And, you know, one thing I want to shift gears and go to in addition to what we've talked about jerk baiting. you know, Kurt and I did the F45 challenge, fitness challenge, trying to get ourselves in physical shape, you know, uh, get ready for this fishing season. But yet my chiropractor loves when he knows that I'm going to be going to a jerk baiting tournament that I'm going to have one in my hand from daylight till dusk. How do you deal with the mental, but also the physical fatigue and stress of the extended hours of the technique? And how much does the fishing rod or other factors help you stay with it? Well, I use, you know, the lightest rod and reel that I can get my hands on. The main two I use is a Abu Veracity 610 medium light or a Fantista seven foot medium and even a Brasty seven foot medium. But the biggest thing is an Abu ALF reel, which is this thing only weighs 5.6 ounces and it's an eight to one ratio. So I can cover a lot of water with it. And I mean, it is light in your hands. So I can throw it all day. And a lot of it's got to do with technique, you know, like, uh, Hank Cheer said he was watching me on Bass Live at St. John's and, you know, he's a big jerkbait fisherman like myself. We actually right. room together. He uses a lot more wrist action, where I use a lot more forearm action. Our lure does the same thing underwater, but it's just two different techniques. And uh, I just, that's why I've done it for so long that it really doesn't affect me. Of course, I get tired sometimes, but uh, I've done it for so long that I just get, and when when you're catching fish, you don't need to realize it anyway. (laughs) Uh, But (laughs) yeah, you you can do it all day long, not even realize your arm's hurting, but. Um, you have to drink plenty of fluids, of course, because sometimes you get cramped, cramped up and all, but uh, you just got to stay focused and just keep casting, you know, just keep covering water. That's awesome. I, I want to take back real quick. I, I noticed, you know, your rod length, you're probably an important factor when you're twitching, you know, you're twitching down. How much does, you know, you talked about a 610 medium light. You talked about a seven foot medium action. How important is rod length and, and what can you help the listeners with choosing the right rod and length is so important for them to have success with the way that they work the lure? It's critical. I mean, the whole lure action depends on what rod you throw it on. I mean, just like you tried to throw a jerkbait on a glass drinking rod, it would not work good. So uh, it's crucial to whatever lure you're choosing. I throw that seven-foot medium whenever I throw a bigger jerkbait most of the time. Like anything over 110 millimeter or uh, even that big rogue or something like that. I throw a a little bit heavier rod just because you can get it to come off the spool faster um, because it doesn't have a weight transfer. But the rest of them, like a medium light, 610 medium light uh, veracity, it's got good forgiveness in the backbone. The backbone really gives, you know, loads up good, which is what I like. But you have to have a fast tip. That's the most crucial thing. If you get a soft tip, you're never going to get the action or the capabilities that jerkbait's able to do. So uh, I, I wouldn't think length would matter as much as, medium action or lower and and the uh, fast tip as long as it meets the requirement that you can twitch down and not be beaten on the top of the water and those types of things yeah yeah, yeah and see i kind of twitch i kind of twitch sideways hank twitches down a lot of guys okay. twitch down i, I okay. kind of twitch at a 45 so okay. uh not not straight down but if you're short like me yeah you don't want to seven two and last thing here on this fighting the fish to the boat you know treble hook baits notorious for anglers having issues landing bass what do you do to increase your percentage of getting those hooked fish to the boat and inside the guns the biggest thing is you don't want to really rush them you can tell if the fish is hot 
Like, I caught a couple at St. John's that hit it right at the boat, and they were hot. And every one of those, to me, the best thing, instead of trying to reach over and loosen your drag up and then tighten it back up, just spool it. Just hit your button, use your thumb tension, get that fish away from the boat, let it do its thing, and then you can work it back into the boat. I try to move it and get it. Once I get its head up and get it coming my directions, I belly scoop almost every one of them. I mean, I don't know that. Actually, that nine-pounder I got, it was so big, I just grabbed it like a saltwater fish under the gill plate and picked it up. But it was a, that thing was a monster. But so that's another thing. That fish, I caught it on a, you know, number four treble hooks and a Berkeley uh, cutter, and all you had to do was a, I thought it was a catfish. It pulled so hard. I right. said, it can't be a bass. And the water sustained. I couldn't see it, you know. Once I let it give out, I kind of followed it with the trolling motor a little bit. And then uh, I just reeled it in, scooped it up. That was an awesome catch. All right. Man, this has been a great dive into in-depth jerk baiting, Kelly. I appreciate it. We're going to move into our listener question segment presented by Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Kelly, this question comes from Jim Fergus of Northeast Illinois. Jim says... Been fishing fun my entire life. Going to start local tournament series this season. What key items should I focus on or remember as a first-time tournament angler? To me, what separates elite guys and FLW guys and major league fishing guys from just the average weekend angler is their ability to practice. You've got to learn to practice well, not catch all your fish in practice, but key in on once you kind of figure out kind of what's going on, whether they're flipping, be more detailed. Was it close to deep water? How deep was it in? And then be able to duplicate that pattern throughout the body of water you're fishing. But I think the single most important thing is to be able to practice well. And then and then never be afraid to scratch that game plan in the tournament. If conditions change and a cold front comes through, just you have to know, just look, this is not working. Go try something else. And then have confidence in what you're doing. You know, if you if your confidence bait is a spinner bait, then try spinner bait if you're not getting many bites. Just you always got to have confidence in what you're doing and not lose focus of just catching one fish at a time and not worrying about catching 20 pounds. Just have fun, catch one at a time, and let chips fall where they may. Kelly, quickly, uh, would you advise Jim, like if he finds a pattern that's working perhaps in, in on a day of practice to also try and find backup patterns if you have multiple days of practice in the event of a weather change or something like that, or, or what's your suggestion there? Oh, yeah, well, definitely. Well, it's according to, uh, like if you're fishing with an area and you get on a boat dock pattern and there's only 100 dots on the whole lake, of course, you're going to have to find something else because probably 50 of the other anglers is going to be on that same pattern. So, uh, yeah, you always need some kind of backup to run. And, and then just a lot of times don't even fish. Like if, if you go to an area, and this is another mistake I see people make, is like if I find a place in practice that I'm catching fish, I never go back to that place to the first day of the tournament, period. Because in my mind, I got confidence I'm going to catch fish right there in that spot. So if you go back the day before the tournament and go through there and don't get a bite, you're probably going to spin out and think, okay, I'm in trouble. They're not here anymore. And that's the last thing you want to do the day before the tournament starts. So uh, locate some fish. Don't beat them up and have confidence that they're going to be there at tournament day. Kind of reminds me of the conversation that uh, we had with Dr. Jay McNamara. But, uh, Kelly, thank you so much for answering that question. Jim, we certainly appreciate you sending that in and it being answered on the show. Just uh, simply log on to BassEdge.com, click the Claim Your Prize segment, fill out the personal information, let us know that you heard Kelly answer it here on Episode 324 of Bass Edge, and we will get the Bass Edge gift sent directly to your doorstep. Keep firing those questions to support at Bass 
BassEdge.com or leave us a comment on our Facebook or Instagram pages. We will get these on the air ASAP. Lots to go through with the uh, questions. So keep firing them in. We'll get them up here sooner than later. All right, Kelly. Well, awesome to have you uh, break down jerk baits your way, I should say, because that is obviously the right way to do it here on Bass Edge Radio. You have any final thoughts or uh, closing comments for the listeners? No, I just appreciate y'all having me on, and uh, hopefully, you know, the things I told them would uh, will help them catch more fish, and it just has confidence in it. You know, a lot of people don't have confidence in jerk baits. I recommend going to a fish pond that you know has fish in it, or somewhere where you know that it's got a lot of fish, and just get confidence in it. And, and once you you do you'll realize that you can catch fish year round on a dirt bait and uh, it's a lot of fun kelly wonderful information man you definitely uh raised the bar here for bass edge nation and jerk bait fishing and uh man best of luck on the chick keep the momentum rolling could be could be man. another jerk bait fight out there you never know <laughs> it could be i'm hoping so I, I was expecting it to be one until the mud came through but uh i appreciate it and uh maybe we'll keep on momentum going and, and uh make that classic this year you bet kelly thanks for everything Thing, man, y'all hang tight. Bass Edge Radio will be right back. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Kurt, I love talking about jerk baits and uh, his insight on using different brands uh, really resonated with me a couple tournaments ago. You know, I had to use five different brands before I finally got to kind of the action and that that they preferred. Yeah. Jerk bait fishing is is not for the faint of heart. You, you know, it's a workman's bait, <laughs> right? I yeah. mean, you got to be able to, you got to be willing to put in the effort. I mean, it is an effort initiated bite. Uh, you're in implying the action and it's quick, fast, um, sometimes slower action, but still, you know, a constant work throughout the day. But jerkbait fishing, I mean, the great thing about it is when they're on it, you can catch a ton of fish on a lure like this and quickly and uh, and and obviously catch some big ones. I mean, Kelly has proven throughout the years that that you can, you know, have fantastic finishes on this technique in all times of the year. You know, he mentioned spring and fall being his two really pre-spawn and fall being his two favorite times of year. But, um, you know, dude, I've caught him on jerk baits over top of beds, you know, when you can't see the beds, they're deep 
bait fish, clear water, you know, the fish coming up to protect it. Caught him, you know, he's had great success in post-spawn, shad spawn. Man, it's just a very versatile lure, and uh, he broke it down great today. Lots of things to uh, think about to add to my repertoire. Um, I'm, I'm a jerk bait lover. I love the I'm a Flip 120. It's probably my top five baits in my tackle box, period. So uh, I'm, I'm a jerk bait lover. That's why I love doing these kind of interviews. And and not to mention, man, what a great interview with Dr. J, right? Oh, for sure. And uh, very exciting to see the new project and uh, get our hands on that. Certainly, we will keep everybody abreast of, of what's going on there. I couldn't agree with you more on the jerk bait, certainly in my top five. And uh, also agree with you on the effort you know, that it takes to fish that. Like I said, uh, many days I have uh, pain in between my shoulder blades. So, um, <laughs> but that's, that comes with the territory. But speaking of effort, I want to uh, just thank all Bass Edge listeners for the effort that they put into sending in the questions, the comments, and certainly tuning into every episode of Bass Edge. Unfortunately, uh, 324 is coming to a close. Wish everybody a great couple weeks on the water and look forward to seeing everyone on 325, which will be April 1st. We are rolling right into spring so for kurt dove i am aaron martin and we will talk to you on our next episode of bass edge radio so long everybody the edge is presented by megaware keel guard for more information on bass edge or to shop at the bass edge online store visit bassedge.com and be sure to join kurt dove and aaron martin right here on another episode of the edge brought to you in part by nitro boats Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, Lawrence Electronics, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com. <laughs>